Welcome to the Debutiful Podcast Feed. This is the first taste reading series where each week I invite an author to read from their new book and answer a few short questions. You can find Debutiful on the internet at debutiful.net and on all social media at Debutiful. Today's guest has had their fiction appear in Lightspeed, the year's best science fiction and fantasy, DSF, and more. She's worked in theater education most of her life. In 2021, she collaborated with the Institute of Holocaust Education and Circle Theater to write When We Go Away, a TYA play about survivors in the Midwest. Her debut novel, The First Bright Thing, is out now. Please welcome J.R. Dawson. Hey, J.R. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing super duper. Um, yeah. People listening to the podcast may or may not know that I hosted something where JR was part of in, an introduction of their book and all the exciting things. Um, and I was just blown away by how passionate you were and uh, just talking about your novel. And so I had to have you on the podcast. So Aww. thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And thanks for hosting that day. Oh, of course. Fun. Yeah, I enjoyed seeing all the different authors and uh, your novel, The First Bright Thing, is out now. Uh, tell readers uh, who may not have discovered it yet a little bit about uh, what it's about. Yeah. So it came out on June 13th in the Uni United States mm -hmm. and it came out on June 22nd in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, it is about a magical queer circus that goes through the Midwest uh, and they use their powers to find one person each night that needs to see something in the circus, something um, of their art. Uh, and then they show that special guest, the the piece that they've created for them um, to hopefully change the world in small ways for the better. Um, and this is going along perfectly fine until um, through the use of their magic, they discover that there's a war coming in the future. And uh, a circus from the past starts uh, stalking them. Um, and that circus is also magical, but the guy who runs it is super scary and everybody kind of has dangerous powers. And there's something um, that the main circus wants that he wants to, that has that, okay, bleh, let me do that again. There's something that the main circus has that uh, he wants and uh, he's not going to stop until he gets it. So, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It is just a super fun novel, super like fresh. Um, and I'll have, Many questions to ask you, but I'll let you dive into the reading. Um, sure. What part of the book will you be reading for us today? All right. So um, I'm actually going to read about halfway through. So I'm just going to set it up just a little bit. Uh, so this is on page 121 of 352. Um, Rin is our main character. She's the ringmaster of the magical nice circus. And she's sort of adopted, uh, taken in as a ward, this uh teenager named josephine uh who has this big power um the powers they call uh sparks um her spark is massive and it can do a lot of really cool good stuff and it also can turn into mysterio from spider-man pretty quickly um so rin has taken uh josephine out into the field outside of where they've set up the midway and the big top and they're doing uh, a rehearsal to see what's going on with this power. All right, there we go. Cool, take it away. <laughs> Thanks. The field was far away from the circus tents and the hullabaloo, just thick Kansas grass against the thick Kansas trees that lined the grounds. 
This was a good day. Wren had seen Kansas and all sorts of weather, and summer was definitely the transformative season. In the winter, it was nothing but brown grass, bare crops, but in the summer, it was a sea of green. Wren took a deep breath of air. This, the wide spaces under a clear sky, far from the coasts and far from the cities and beyond anything in any book or film, the Midwest was home. And she, the lady with her wild hair and her work shirt tucked into her high-waisted black pants, stood ready to welcome this little girl in a starchy faded blue dress that matched her violent blue eyes. They were a pair. All right, Rin said. You have your first performance tonight. Today, I want to practice the illusions you'll need to show in the ring tonight. But more importantly, we need to work on your technique. Tonight, Joe said. You wanted to be in the circus, yeah? Yes, Joe said slowly, but I just got here. The brash, sardonic act seemed to melt away to a quieter, softer Joe. Without her brother, she seemed like a deer in a meadow, unsure of being so out in the open. Rin pulled her bushy hair back behind her ears and tied it tight. Best to jump both feet in, right? She said, now I've seen what you can do, but I brought us out here because I need to know the limitations. Joe looked confused. I want to see how big it can get. What are we working with here? Joe nervously looked out to the field around her. It's not just pretty pictures. It can get intense. Bryn waved her hand out to the field. Well, let's meet it head on, shall we? I'm going to give you a word and you're going to conjure something up, all right? Joe, her black straw hair bristling in the wind, looked doubtful but still moved forward. Her hands were placed in front of her as if she was ready to fight, open-palmed. She always seemed ready to hit something, kick something, tear her way through an enemy only she could see. Where does your spark come from? Rin said right now as you prepare to do it. No one knows where the sparks come from. No, Rin said. It's important to understand our spark. I meant, where does it come from, from inside? Mine comes from my gut and my spine. Mauve says hers is in her head. Odette's is in her hands. So where do you feel the energy originating? I didn't know this was a science. Well, no one knows what it is. Now stop bluffing and tell me where you feel it. Joe took a deep breath and in and out of her nose, gritting her teeth, looking out to the field as if deliberating something. Not where it came from, Rin knew, but whether or not to tell. My heart, Joe said quietly. It seemed to surprise Joe that the sentiment came out of her, but it didn't surprise Rin, because she'd recognized the gritted teeth, that deliberation. She once had been a girl with gritted, grinding teeth who stood on the edge of a graveyard where she'd left her name on a tombstone. She never wanted anyone else to ever feel that alone. Rin watched Joe position her feet on the rich brown soil. She saw Joe concentrate on the grass. Ready? Rin said. Joe nodded. All right, Rin said. The word is home. Joe's eyes closed. Light erupted from the young girl. An illuminated tidal wave of stardust and sun pushed from her soul through her fingers and into the world. She was a dawn all her own. Rin felt a rush of warmth blow past her. Her hair ruffled. She stood still. The field transformed into a cold, dark room. The two stood in a wooden farmhouse. In front of them sat two children, a boy and a girl, 
watching the front door from the stairs. There was another child, much older. It was a boy, and he scrambled around in the kitchen. So many years between them and their brother, and those years dictated who would go die and who would stay and live. Rin watched a smaller Joe on the staircase, turning her bare feet inward, the cold, splintery wood, making no sound as the older boy grabbed his pack, put his hat on, and opened the door. Nothing had changed. On that night, and now on this day, it was all the same. She could do nothing but see her brother go. Rin felt something inside herself, as if she was the one settled in this memory, something dark, bubbling. The room shook. The shadows became dark, dangerous strangers. The floorboards disintegrated and Rin fell and fell and screamed, everything she never wanted to feel again radiating from every pore of her body, curling in through the holes of her heart like poison, then shooting out like bullets, fear, grief, so much grief and anger. It wasn't fair. What sort of a god would have killed her brother? Brother? Rin had never had a brother. She felt panic in her throat. This wasn't hers. This grief wasn't hers. This wasn't her mind. Joe, the ringmaster shouted, focus, bring it in. Her voice shocked Joe and she jumped back. As the spell broke, Rin felt ground under her feet and rump and hands, grass, dirt, wet from the morning dew. Everything else was an illusion. It wasn't real. Joe dropped her hands and it all disappeared. Rin lay where she'd fallen. It was gone. It was a bad dream, but it felt so real. It felt like before, it felt like him, the circus king. Joe was powerful. Joe is dangerous, a voice said inside of her. And Rin felt herself detaching, leaving her body disassociating, numb. I'm so sorry, Joe said, rushing forward. No, no, this wasn't Joe's fault. Rin couldn't shut down and leave this girl alone. From what Rin had just seen, Joe had been feeling alone for quite some time. Joe looked down at the ringmaster in horror, her eyes glassy. She was just a kid and she was floundering. And then Joe broke down crying. Both of them could not cry. One of them had to stand up, keep going. Joe was just a kid. He was also once just a kid. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much for reading. Um, I usually ask, like, what's the genesis for the book? But I want to start with, and this might tie into it, your degree, your background in, like, theater. Yeah. Um, how does that play a role into your writing and this book? Oh, for sure. So, yeah, no, it's a theater book. It's a theater book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one of the, the way that I connect to theater and most of my, like, jobs, like, moving forward through life has been in theater education. Um, so there's something just really cool about introducing a student to their own confidence and their own voice by putting them up on a stage and being like, Hey, you can do this. And you know, you're worth it. You're enough to be up here. Um, and so while I've acted and while I've written plays and, and all that, like, I, I really enjoy, uh, being a theater teacher and teaching artists. Um, so that was definitely a part of it. Uh, I also was really excited to write a book that had a performance in it. Um, and so I was able to treat the circus as if I was like an artistic director or production manager for a performance for a production that was happening. Um, so like I, I did everything that I would usually do when leading a production of like what, you know, what are, what's the set and like, 
what, who is doing what, and when are they doing it? And what is the blocking? Um, and what are the light cues and what are the sound cues? Um, and so treating it as if it was a real theater piece, I think was super fun for me. And also like shows the perspective of that production, not from the audience's perspective, which is something I've, I've seen a lot of people write about, but I haven't seen a lot of people writing about what does a production look like from behind the curtain in the wings, which is, is a magic all of its own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Your book feels, I mean, you kind of explained it, but it feels very lived in because of all that. Like, I think people who listen to the podcast know I'm very much a, like a non-plot guy. It's like all about vibes, but your book also <laughs> has so much plot happening in it and, yeah. and, and, and as well as the vibes. Um, yeah. <laughs> but for like the plot side of things, was that easy to figure out for you? Did you kind of know? Okay. No. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I mean, like, I, I, I'm glad I got through it. I'm glad <laughs> yeah. I wrote it and it, it gelled. Um, no, I mean, I think that when you're doing time travel of any kind or any sort of nonlinear storytelling, um, it, it's something that you need to plan ahead. Um, mm -hmm. So I wrote this one a little differently where it started off at 20,000 words and 40,000 words and 60,000 words and 80 and then a hundred. And so I like, I had the, the overall outline like plot to it and then like having to go back and, and add things to make sure that everything was staying on the different tracks and the different threads. I mean, Rin talks about how she sees all these threads popping out of the timeline and that's how she gets around. And that's kind of how it was to write it. Um, I knew that I wanted to have the two nonlinear perspectives um, of Edward and Red. Uh, and then we kind of, I kind of went from there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, time travel is one of my favorite things just in media, but I feel like a lot in media does it wrong. Um, do you have favorite like time travel movies, comics, anything? Yeah. So I really like what they do um, in the movie about time. Mm -hmm. Um like that he uses his time travel power to mostly just talk to his dad because mm -hmm. his dad dies. Um, and so they just sort of like hang out in his dad's like office and play pool and stuff like, or is it tennis? They play some kind something. of yeah. something in there. Um, I also really think that some episodes of Doctor Who, I mean, I'm guessing everybody says Doctor Who, but sure. I, I think that some episodes, um, of Doctor Who are super cool. Like my favorite is the Van Gogh one. Um, and also what is it? The girl in the fireplace or the man in the fireplace, the one with the, with the fireplace between the doctor and the, the French girl. And like, mm. he keeps stepping away for two seconds and then coming back and like decades have passed on her side. Yeah. Um, and the whole idea of like Amy Pond waiting and waiting and waiting. And then, you know, it's just a, a split second for, for Matt Smith. I thought that that was super cool. So they do some really interesting things with that. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of, I think those are my two favorite favorite. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta love time travel. Um, and then like what else was kind of an inspiration for, for this novel? Um, not that those were necessarily inspirations <laughs> for the novel, but like what kind of, you know, I feel like as a theater kid and I, I was like, uh, 
yeah, I was like a book club kid and, in, in, you know, like everyone yeah. in high school, you have the, all these inspirations and with first novels, it's like, oh, I can finally pull everything. So yeah, yeah what did, what did you pull in from in, that inspired you? Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, Ray Bradbury's essay about how he met um, the uh, carnival worker who told them that they were like, uh, had been brothers in a past life, the reincarnated mm-hmm. story. I think that that's super cool. Um I actually have had was going to set this story in space and it was going to be sci-fi with like cyborgs. And then I saw um, Peter Jackson's uh, They Shall Not Grow Old, uh, which mm. is a documentary that came out a few years ago. Uh, and what, what Peter Jackson did is he took um, footage of the trenches in France during World War One. Uh, and he slows down the speed and he colorizes it and like fixes it up. So it looks like it could have been filmed yesterday. Mm. And then he walks you through the war. Um, and a lot of the kids that are in the movie didn't make it out. Um, and so I started thinking about like how much more grounded that was and how horrific that was. And like, there were a lot of, um, there was a lot of footage of like the trench being there and then like, two feet away just being this beautiful like french countryside and i was like this something broke here like this is the first time that that the modern world saw you know like airplanes and mustard gas and all this really terrible stuff and massive casualties um to very young people and um and so i was like well something broke and and so what is it like to live after that (laughs) in the 20s and what if you knew that it was just going to pick up again? Um, and that started, I started thinking about how that was connected to kind of like being a millennial, like mm-hmm. where it's just like most of our lives have been one interesting event after another. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you keep going in that um, and stay not positive or optimistic, but at least hopeful? <laughs> Thank you so much to JR for joining the Day Beautiful podcast first taste reading series to read from and briefly discuss her debut novel, The First Bright Thing. You can find her on the internet at jrdawsonwriter.com and on Twitter as j underscore r underscore Dawson. You can find Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. And as always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful. And you're all beautiful.